Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's in Your Head podcast. Digitized live from the ACT Computer Studios in Cape Coral, Florida, it's the What's in Your Head podcast with your hosts Gordon and Don Abernathy. What's up, what's up, what's up, OG5? It's another Tuesday and we're back here with another episode of the What's in Your Head podcast. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us every Tuesday and thanks for your constant support of the show. And if you want to support the show more, please head over to uh, whatsinyourhead.com or d-410.com. Click on that Patreon link. It's like and subscribe. It only costs you a dollar a month. And if you really like us, go ahead and buy some t-shirts. We don't make any money off that, but we're all down for the advertising. And while you're there at d-410.com or whatsinyourhead.com, go ahead and click on that YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to YouTube and help us get to 1,000. Gordon, how are you doing tonight, bud? I don't know. You don't know? Why not? Uh, I, I, I can't do the uh, bitching Camaro voice very well. <clears throat> Hey, Jack, what's happening? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that was horrible. I'm doing okay. We finally getting some effing rain. I've uh, been busy. I'm looking forward to the uh, to the holidays coming up. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, I don't want to leave like him hanging. I'm uh, done. Joining Good us time. on the phones from, L- I was going to say Lehigh, but you're technically, what are you, yeah. LaBelle, David? Yeah. Alva. Alva. Florida. You're kind of on like the outskirts. I mean, you're borderline in Lehigh and Alva, right? A little bit. Lehigh sounds bad. Alva sounds a lot better. <laughs> I'm sure the, the fine people in Lehigh appreciate that. But see, if you lived in Lehigh, you could tell people, hey, I live in L.A. Because that's what the cool people in Lehigh Acres do. They say, I live in L.A. Oh, man, L.A. Country to say that. Alva sounds wonderful. <laughs> Anyhow, you know what's crazy about the difference between where you're at where you got a bunch of towns around you in Las Vegas where there's like Las Vegas, Henderson North Las Vegas and Boulder City and that's it is we really don't pick on anybody but Boulder City or the east side of town and anybody from California well you know I have David on here for um, a couple of reasons but um, Gordon you know I'm an animal lover but you also know I'm a firearms enthusiast, which can oftentimes create a conundrum, if you will. But I think a lot of people out there have had the same thought since COVID happened. And, you know, people are trying to get out of the cities and all that and supply chain shortages. And um, I've been I jokingly said that, you know, if grocery prices don't get any cheaper, I may not be catch and release anymore. I may be more of a uh, catch and make myself some dinner. And. I've I've been entertaining the idea of possibly going out on a hunt, and so I thought, yeah. who better to bring on the show than uh, than well my brother-in-law who um, is is about as Florida cracker as you can get, and uh, so I asked David to come on because he has some pretty interesting insights on on the hunting and all that. But I think the good place to start out, David, you're telling me that the way you and your family basically live is 83 percent of your food that you guys consume is basically hunted or gathered through your own methods yes sir so roughly 80 percent or so is either going to be wild caught as in directly from the wild or raised right here at the house or if not raised right here at the house i get it from one of the farms that i hog hunt so we don't really 
we buy groceries, but we're very minimal on meat. At least 80% of the meat that we eat is self-harvested. You, were, we, you and I were out fishing the other day, and uh, for those of you who watch the YouTube channel, David's the one that took me out to, uh, on the video referred to as, um, I think, Oscars, Alligators, and Bowfin. Um, David's the one that took me out to the swamp areas to go fishing. And uh, while we're out there, you actually got a call from somebody who had an issue with some um, nuisance hogs running around, and they asked you if you could possibly, you know, come look into the issue. Is that something that happens quite a bit? Yeah, quite a bit. You'd be surprised. Um, I just set a trap this weekend for a, a palm tree farm, farm in Buckingham. Um, I have another trap at a, a little hobby farm in North Fort Myers, and people call constantly. I just I don't have enough time for it. If I did, I would fill all the needs, but that's just to let people know that it's out there. People are calling. People want this managed, and you can use that as an opportunity to, to feed your family, if you will. So you do Everybody harvest the hogs then, right? What was that, sir? Do, do you harvest the hogs? Yes, I do. Uh, like now, to be used as food or to a food bank? How, yeah. how does that work? No, not to food banks. Um, my personal family, um, I have Fantastic. friends that take them and eat them. So I'm not just self-sustaining, but a lot of my neighbors are self-sustaining off of me as well. No, that's perfect. I, I, I like that. Is um, How does wild hog taste versus the uh, the stuff that's, you know, on the farm? Okay, so what we do, and this might upset some people, but a lot of the properties that we hunt, we manage them with dogs. And here's the lesser of the two evils of dogs versus traps. When you hunt them with dogs, we can put the presence of the dogs on a piece of property and keep the animals pushed out and away from the specific property that they're damaging. When we keep those hogs moving, it, it creates less damage and it also allows, I should say, helps some of the farmers, some of the cattlemen. Right now, calf dep depredation is up very high to these reintroduced Florida panthers. So by us moving these hogs around, it's giving the cats more of an opportunity to eat hogs rather than eat people's calves. And it's more money saved in our pockets. The government's not having to pay for that calf depredation if the, the big cats are focusing primarily on hogs. So by hunting them with dogs versus traps, when you get a hog in a trap, he sits in that trap sometimes 6, 8, 10, 12 hours. Um, they're in a shaded area, and we do everything we can to be as humane as possible. But that hog is going to beat every inch of that trap trying to get out versus dogs. When we hunt them with dogs, it's quick. The dogs don't put teeth on them at first. We get a catch dog. It catches the hog for a few seconds. We can catch them, tie them, and do what we have to do with them. Most of these big ranches that we hunt, we actually castrate and release. So every boar hog that I put my hands on, I physically castrate them. It takes about 11 seconds. We timed it and turned that hog loose. Catch 20, Farmer John shoots a boar, the buzzer deep for a month. Farmer John shoots a bar, which is a castrated animal. He's going to eat them, or somebody on his crew is going to eat them. So it's less waste, and it's a more effective way to manage them. Well, let me ask you this, too. So if, if you're, if you're – go ahead. To answer his question on the taste of wild pork, it's excellent. A bar, a castrated hog, will have kind of a sweet buttermilky smell when you cook it. It's going to taste like the best grain-fed pork you can get from any local butcher. I prefer wild pork over domestic pork. Well, and back to the whole trapping them versus hunting them with the dog. If you're doing it as a dual goal of 
you know, one, thinning the nuisance animal that is a hog, but two, feeding your family. When you have that hog trapped and it's fighting the trap and it's literally fighting for its life for, like you said, 11, 12 hours, there is a higher risk of that meat being unconsumable because of the spikes in adrenaline. It actually affects the flavor of the meat, correct? I don't necessarily want to say non-consumable because that hog's not going to fight the whole time. He's going to fight for the first maybe hour that it's in there, and then it's going to settle down. As long as it's not being disturbed, it'll lay in the trap motionless and reserve its energy. When you approach that animal, it's going to blow at the trap a few more times until I can get a rope on them and catch them alive. I don't shoot them in the trap. I catch these animals alive, pull them out, and then decide management-wise what's going to be best for this animal. Can I take them and put them in a holding facility and sell them somewhere, or should I take this animal and harvest this animal to eat? If he's a boar hog, obviously I'm not going to eat him. I'm going to prefer to get rid of him elsewhere rather than eat him myself. Boar, as in a, a male intact animal, is going to be gaming. It's going to be strong, and I, I'm really not a fan of that taste. But a castrated animal or a sow, again, you can't beat it anywhere. Nice. Now, I, I, go ahead, Gordon. I tell you, um, there's one version of hog hunting that's caught my attention, and it's what they do in, in Texas from the helicopters. That sounds interesting, and I bet it's expensive to go do as a, a paying customer. Well, you know? well, just interesting. I was listening to Ted Nugent on um, Joe Rogan, and he was talking yeah. about how he was kind of personally responsible for making that legal prior to him getting involved um, you could not pay a helicopter pilot for taking you up to shoot hogs. You can go up and shoot them, but if any money was passed between the hunter and the helicopter pilot, it became a crime. And it wasn't until Ted Nugent went to the governor and some of the other Texas politicians saying, look, we're, we're overrun with these hogs. We know it's a big problem. They're killing crops. They're destroying property. Um, why is it illegal to hunt them from helicopter why is it uh, why is it legal for me to shoot them from a helicopter but illegal for me to pay for the gas for said helicopter and the government's like i wasn't aware that was an issue and so they changed it and now that has become a sport out there um and it brings in tourism um brings in hunters it helps um thin the herd a little bit go ahead revenue yeah absolutely oh, oh yeah revenue it, it's I have to look at it on both ends because ethically I'm, I'm not really for it, but I'm not really against it. Um, ethically, because a lot of animals do get wasted during that process because they shoot so many animals. But at the same time, I understand why they have to do this because of the farms, because of the devastation and damage that they're doing. There's no amount of dog pressure that's going to resolve an issue that great. Fortunately yeah. for South Florida, we don't have that problem. Yes, we are overran. Yes, we do have problems, but they're nothing even remotely close to Texas. Yeah, it's pretty much a varmint out there at this point, you know, a very destructive varmint. I was out fishing in uh, Lake Zurich the other day, and a guy was hunting iguanas with an air rifle, and he was looking for a fight. I was like, just be wary, I'm here so you don't hit me. Um, but then Carrie and I were out on the backside of Lake Zurich the other night at the boat dock, and we heard a floop and foo! Someone was shooting. And I heard the, the shot, and we heard the BB whip over our head. I had to say, hey, we're over here. But that's a different argument, um, different conversation. We kind of came out the gate pretty hard and quick here. I want to back up a little bit. Um, before I brought David on today, we are talking. And uh, one of the things I kind of wanted to bring to people's attention, which you know, a lot of people are anti-hunting. They think it's mean. They think it's cruel. And 
I was talking to David today. I said, you know, I found somebody's TikTok the other day where they found a bass. They caught a bass and it still had a living baby bird in its mouth. And I mm-hmm. duetted said TikTok and I told people, hey, you know, I hear a lot of people who aren't into fishing. They say, you know, fishing's mean. You're, you're putting a hook through their mouth. It's painful, yada, yada, yada. And I, too, once kind of understood that line of reasoning until I started fishing, fishing a lot. And I was unaware of the fact that bass and fish eat birds, ducks, turtles, I mean, alligators, anything that falls in that water, they will try to eat. But furthermore, after you take a couple of fish off of a hook and you're learning the proper way of handling said fish, you will get stabbed, poked, and gouged and possibly infected by fish because, well, they they got built on armor. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute, this fish eats these fish. So every damn meal they consume has sharp, spoky, um, possibly infected parts to them. And so my one semi, semi-sterile surgical steel hook going through their lip is really not causing that much pain to them. And furthermore, do you think that bass is concerned about the feeling of said bird it had in its mouth? But, it, but what I'm getting at is once you start hunting, which I haven't done, but I've heard many people talking about, or fishing, or get into that outdoor mindset, you realize that Mother Nature is a bitch. And uh, like Joe Rogan is famous for saying, deers don't live to be old and happy. It's not a Bambi existence. It's a long, rough, tumble life, and you either die by consumption, illness, or you know, a, a rough death. And, um, and that's the truth of the matter. Can you even imagine being an animal and having six coyotes eat you alive? Yeah, ripping you apart. Have six coyotes eat you alive from the hind end. So Mm. I I look at hunting as the most ethical way for them to go, especially if if you're practicing ethical hunting, if you're making good shots, you know, taking that animal into consideration respecting every inch of that animal and consuming as much of that animal as humanly possible, less waste. I think hunting is the way to go. If I were a deer, I would much rather be shot, run 100 feet, and kill over than have a coyote eat my hind end out. Or freeze to death or die of disease. I mean, hunters are the biggest conservationists out there, and they're the ones who help maintain the balance as best we can to keep the overpopulation of various species down. I remember back in Columbus, Ohio, white deer had gotten so bad, they're so numerous, that they're going into like a major metropolitan park to, to thin them out. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it was everywhere. And it's numbers in check. It's beneficial for conservation. When you buy your hunting license, all that money goes towards conservation. This big bear hunt that went on a few years ago, everybody was up in arms for. Look at the amount of money that was raised towards Florida bear conservation during that hunt. Now, I draw the line at bear because to me, it's a big, funny looking dog. Until it's chasing <laughs> you down. Yeah, until it's, and I lived in Montana. I lived in Big Sky. Uh, I've run into numerous black bears on the trail. Fortunately, didn't see any grizz. There actually have been a few grizz attacks recently up there. But uh, yeah, I just, there's some, it was so funny because. You always hear with how to deal, deal with a bear, but when I worked at the resort, we had a bear in our parking lot, and there were some tourists kind of chasing after it a little bit to take pictures, and how did we run it off? We treated it like a dog. We started yelling and clapping and, mm-hmm. and got it out of there, but this lady had it cornered almost between two cars. Stupid. Like, babe, it's, yeah, you're, no, no good. And, and when it comes to conservation, um, I, I've heard it said, too, 
take deer, for example, or any grazing, grazing wild animal. If there wasn't a hunting, let's say it's just across the board, illegal, couldn't do it. Those animals reproduce, they spread, they consume vegetation. You know what doesn't expand? The ground in which they are walking on. Uh, they reproduce right. quicker than the vegetation can regrow. And so you don't have a hunting season. Don't set a, a number of how many can be taken that season. They keep growing. They outgrow their food source. And then you do have more starvation and things like that. You have chronic wasting disease. You have so many illnesses that... Bursalosis. Uh... We have a lack of predators. We don't have the predators to consume all of those sick animals that we would have if hunting wasn't in effect, if people weren't sustaining on wildlife. In, in effect, we are their predator. That's it, you know? Let's go back to the okay. hog real quick. One of the things I found out, which was hard to believe, I never knew, and I grew up in Kentucky and my family raised hogs before we were around. You know, I think we, my dad may have had one when I was a kid, they slaughtered, but, um, apparently, and cor bitch too. apparently correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but from what I understand, you take a farm raised pig and it gets loose. The thing will turn feral within like three months and start having hair color change, uh, tusks starting to grow. And before within a year, it'll look like any other wild hog. Is that correct? Try two weeks. Um, they definitely just Here's recently God. had a program on discovery at the time. In about two weeks, that completely domesticated hog will go wild. But here's what makes that situation so dangerous. That, that domesticated hog lacks fear of man. And we've had this on several occasions where we've had hogs bait up or had hogs caught. And domestic hogs, big, massive domestic hogs that people had let go thinking it would be a great idea to let them breed with the wild animals to increase the size and increase the meat productivity, increase the growth rate, came to it and absolutely tried to wipe our dogs out and wipe us out. And, and it makes for a really dangerous situation. A few years back, I caught one in Fort Denode in an orange grove. They estimated between 490 and 520. Wow. A big Jesus. floppy eared domestic hog, a red hog. Um, his shoulders, his shields had actually dropped. So he looked like a big rhinoceros. I mean, this thing was was pretty uh pretty rough looking he'd been in the wild for a while his shields were all scarred up from fighting obviously nothing out there was big enough to even contend with them the majority of the hogs that we caught out of that grove for the next few years showed a lot of domestic signs from white listing like bands around their body the big floppy ears like <laughs> elephant ears you know um domestic curly tails just a lot of domestic traits of course we did increase the size but that makes for a very dangerous situation when people do that. Domestic hogs, there was just one on the news last night in Lehigh, uh, that big listed hog that was on the news. That's a domestic hog turned loose. You know, there's no way that hog got that big in the wild. That is 100% a domestic hog. Somebody let it go, and it went completely feral, and it completely lacked any kind of fear of people. The majority of the wild hogs that you walk up to in a pasture will run. They will get gone. They don't want to be anywhere near you. But a domestic hog won't. He doesn't care. He's not scared of you. Why is he scared may of you? may see you, you as a food source, you know. They're used to being fed. Um, real quick, I do understand that hogs can give a dog a beating. My question to you is, what is the dog of choice for hogging? So What's everybody has their own specific choice, their own specific breed that they like. 
Um, I like the crossbreeds for a long time growing up because you can have a one-dog show, one dog that does everything. I found out <clears throat> over the years, over got 30-some-odd years of doing this, that the best breed of choice for South Florida seems to be a Florida Kirk. I prefer a small dog, 40, 45, 50 pounds, with a natural bobtail, a lean build, a long chest, something that can maintain its endurance through the entire trip. Now, my dog, say my buzz dog, for example, will ride on the dog boxer, ride on the deck of a buggy all night long, and only get off to waste energy when it's, when it's needed. That dog is a little black swine-seeking missile. When he comes off the, that dog boxer, comes off the front of that buggy, he goes straight to the hog, puts his teeth in the hog's hind end, and barks at him. It's called a bait. He stays at 2 o'clock or 10 o'clock. Our catch dogs are a different breed altogether. Typically, we'll take rehomed pit bull terriers, which have the high game drive and know that this is what they want to do. This is their game, their sport. They wear a Kevlar vest and a Kevlar collar and physically catch that hog for about 10 or 15 seconds. It gives us long enough to put our hands on the hog. Once my hands are on that hog and that hog is flipped, I touch that catch dog on the end of the nose and say, get off that caught hog. His job is done. His light switch shuts off. He either goes back to the truck or sits on his hind end. These dogs are fine-tuned machines. This is what these dogs are bred to do. As long as you know their light switch and you know how to shut it off and you've spent the time with them, you've done the basic obedience, they work like well-oiled machines. And, and Donnie's seen my dogs before. They're my best friends. They, they love everything about me. They live in the house. You know, it's people, the casual listener who may not have any experience with this sort of thing, they may say, oh, naturally bred that or that's in their instinct. Let me tell you this. I've, I'm two years into having my first Boston Terrier, and Boston yeah. Terriers were bred to kill rats in Boston in the 1800s. Bailey killed her first tree rat before she was a year old. I didn't train her. She saw it. She instinctively knew what to do with it. For all those people who throw their dog a stuffed animal and they see it shake the living shit out of it, you break know what they're doing? Neck. Yes, they're breaking <laughs> its neck. They're not having fun. They're not... They're instinctively, sadly, since Bailey has brought us two baby rabbits and a frog. <laughs> so, once again, this isn't anything we trained her to do. This is something that, you know, Boston Terriers are bred to bring rodents and take care of small nuisance animals. And sadly, she brought us two baby. After she brought us the first one, we searched our yard all over, could not find the nest. And two days later, she brought us another one. Um, they were not... They weren't pinkies, but they didn't have full hair on them yet. They were still young. Eyes were still closed. And then the other morning... Carrie woke me in the middle of the night. We had a frog in our bedroom that Bailey brought in the house. And so it is bred into them. Um, David, you're talking about how 80% of the, the meat your your family consume, including you're telling me you have python in your freezer. I might actually have to come out to your house and maybe do a YouTube video and try my first python. But, you know, we kind of got into the far factory farming a little bit. And I was telling you, and I don't know if they still, they still run these ads out there, Gordon, because you live in Nevada, close to California. When I lived in California in the 2005, they had the Happy Cows campaign. And it was two female heifers who talked in old bitty voices, and they were just having a good old time. And an occasional farm chick would come join the conversation, and they would pan out, and it'd be these two cows on these beautiful rolling green hills as if they were living in Kentucky. And then when you drive out to Is that Ontario. the Happy Cows make happy cheese? Could be. It was just called the Happy Cows campaign. Yeah. Happy cows make happy cheese. But when you drive out to Ontario, California, you see a shit ton of them in a small pen, not a drop of grass anywhere. They're just standing in dirt. And David, they're in California, man, they're happy. Well, David actually comes from a lineage lineage that he could speak on this because his family 
uh, prior to the modern days actually either worked or owned a lot of the property around here that the state now owns because they were cattle ranchers, correct? Yeah. And uh, my family's been in Florida since the 40s. We've all been cattlemen at some point. That was how we started our life here in Florida was as cattlemen. And we, and now obviously we want to be careful because we don't want to think that we were, you know, we have anything against cattle farmers, but you were basically explaining to me the life layout earlier of basically a cattle that is bred for consumption through, you know, um, industrial farming for consumption, where we get our beef and where we, you know, where we get our McDonald's and all that. It varies from ranch to ranch. It varies from town to town. Most of our local beef here is raised on pasture between six and nine months. Usually they're steered really young. Um, they're branded, of course, hot brands that sound horrible. Everybody hates hot brands, but put an ear tag in a, in a cow and see what happens. She's going to shake her head. She's going to still get flies on her. She's going to poke holes in her cheek. Somebody's going to steal your cow and cut the tag out. So brands are a good thing. I understand the purpose of them. They sound inhumane, but in the long run, it's actually the most humane process to keeping track of your beef. That beef is raised on pasture. Ours typically was raised six to nine months and then sold as a lot. So all of our steers for the season were sold. They were brought to a market where they were bid on and then bought out by that market. <clears throat> From there, they go to another auction where these large supply chains will buy out that entire lot of beef and put them on a finishing lot where they go into anywhere from a 30 acre to a three or 400 acre feed lot and they're just power fed continuously until they're ready for slaughter usually slaughter varies from a year to 18 months they try to push them sooner if they meet the required weight because of mad cow and and they get that from the grain that they're feeding them the grain that they're feeding them typically has animal bone so they want to harvest those animals young. They want them to get as big as they can, as quick as they can, and try to butcher them while they're young. Now, I'm not against factory farming, but at the same time, I think that wild harvest is far more ethical than factory farming. That animal is literally raised for consumption and waste. You know, a lot of that animal is wasted in the grocery stores versus you hunt that animal, you're not wasting anything. You're going to consume every bit of it. And I want to pause right there because that's the key word I was looking for is waste. And that's kind of, you know, I was talking to Dave, you know, I I kind of want to go hunting for, and maybe, I don't know if I want to become a hunter, but with the way I am with my addictive personality probably would happen. But one of the reasons I want to try it at least once, and I think maybe everybody should, is because once you take that animal and you go through that process, you realize what your McDonald's hamburger? Now, obviously, I'd be deer hunting or hog hunting, but still, meat's meat in this in this example. And meat is meat, and people, a life is a life. And people, especially in our country, ah, I'm going to buy this hamburger, take two bites of it. The bail, the bun's stale, so what do we do? We throw the whole hamburger away. Why not take the hamburger off the bun, consume the burger, and throw the stale bun away? No, instead, we're just going to throw the whole thing because it's not good. It's not cold. You know, it's colder. Or as I was explaining the day, the problem we have with Sariana is um, we'll sit down, Carrie will make chicken or we'll have pork chops and we'll have like some green beans and some corn. And she's one of those um, partition eaters. She don't take a bite of the steak and then a bite of the corn. She eats one thing at a time, which is fine. But she starts with the starch and the carbs. She doesn't start with the protein. 
And so a lot of times she'll get full on the corn and the potatoes and then want to dispose of the, the protein. And Carrie, like, no, you need to eat the protein first. If you're going to just, you know, categorize your food and not eat it all at once, eat the thing first that that did that had to die for your food. Don't eat the thing that didn't have to die, which yes, there's still energy and animals died in the in the plowing of the fields, but if I'm going to have you throw food away, I'd rather you throw away the corn and the beans instead of the chicken or the steak or the pork. And I think if people at least experienced it once in their life, that maybe, just maybe, they'd be a little more conscious and reluctant to throw away protein. Well, more energy is put I into with, the animal anyway, mm-hmm. across the board. So, I, I stand with him 100% on that, and here's my logic behind that. When you hunt for your own food and you take that life and you've seen the environment that that animal was in and, and what that animal is doing, but now you've just you've taken his life or her life, whatever it may be. Once you take that life, you really value that meat. You value everything about that animal. You value the experience uh, and you're less likely to waste it. And you really understand where your food's coming from at that point. It really hunting and harvesting, I can remember being a kid, you know, 12, 13 years old, and harvesting my first hog, and that experience that I got, and that feeling that I got, and the sensation whenever I sat down at the dinner table, and my mom's bringing out country fried steak and gravy and mashed potatoes from the hog that I just harvested two days prior to that. That feeling is just, you can't get that anywhere else. My kids are currently experiencing the same thing. They've harvested deer, and they've harvested alligators, and they've harvested hogs. This year, hopefully, a turkey. And they get that same feeling, and they talk about it, and they're super excited. Every time they give a piece of meat to the neighbor or one of their family members, or we sit down at the table and eat it. And it's it's definitely eye-opening and absolutely a life-changing experience, even if you do it once. But I guarantee you, Donnie, once you do it one time and you get that respect, you'll continue to do it. And, and obviously, once you take that animal's life, you are responsible for it and what you do with it. And that's why yep. there are laws about people who shoot animal and then leave them to rot for just for the sake of shooting it. That shit's illegal. If you're going to take As the animal, you you know you are responsible for that body and what becomes of it. And so it, you know it. I don't know. Gordon and I were talking a few episodes back, especially now with supply chain shortages and the more likely the war with China, more likely the war with Russia. I think we need as a, as a society in the country is to get into the mind state of my grandparents and most of y'all's great grandparents who lived through the depression. And that is we live in too much of a disposable society. And we're seeing this now with supply chains all, you know, some days you go to Publix, you can't get Uncrustable. Sometimes you go to Starbucks, and they only have white chocolate mocha because of the supply chain shortages. And not to mention technology as a computer guy, I can't tell you how many times somebody will bring me a brand new computer to have me copy off a date off the computer that was four years old because they think it's no longer usable, which it's a perfectly good computer. And I, I, I really think we need to kind of get into that old school mindset, whether it's buying uh, products that'll last longer, even if they cost a little bit more, whether it's uh, you know getting out in the outdoors and maybe fishing and catching some meals, which is kind of hypocritical because I'm still catching release, but I might make that change here before too long. And and I'm really listening to other people and um, listening to interviews with people who are living that life and all that. And there's something intriguing about it. And Joe Rogan said it um, perfectly the other day. He's like, when you, when you 
the first time you get that fish on a line, or every time you get that fish on a line, as soon as you feel that snag, that hit on your line, before you know it's a big fish or small fish, because David can tell you as well as I, the small fish tend to fight harder than the bigger fish on that first yank. You never know what you have until you see it. But there's something primal that comes out of you, that that yep. excitement that you have. It's in your DNA. It's in it's, all of our DNA. It's not excitement who got a fish. It's in your DNA of... Even though you're not, you may be doing catch and release in your DNA. It's built in as, "Ooh, I'm feeding my family tonight," and that's where that excitement comes from. And I'm sure David feels it the same way he harvests an animal before he even w- once he takes that shot, sees the animal go down, and he's walking up on it. I'm sure that's where that same he gets that same primal feeling. I tell you, I've been considering harvesting an animal is even more of an experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've been, hogs, I've been, I've been considering hands, hunting. Go ahead, David. Go ahead. It's hard I'm with the sorry. phone. No, I mean interrupt him. Please go ahead. No, it's just hard with the phone because we can't. You can't visually see somebody getting ready to talk. But go ahead, Gordon. And then David can answer your question. I've been, uh, yeah, I've been considering uh, maybe trying hunting out here, but I've definitely got to get myself in in shape because hunting in Nevada is a uh, long and mountainous. So I got I got a buddy at work that uh, hunts elk. He hunts uh, muleys and um, some antelope occasionally. Well, I think hunting, and David could tell better me because I've never done it, but I, that's something I want to say earlier. Is, you know, people think, oh, hunting, you just wake up in the morning, go out and shoot an animal. No, part of the reason why you take such pride is, is it, I assume, takes hours to track that animal down and get that shot and then carry it out. It's not like you just go to a farm, stand over a, a fence, shoot it, walk two yards, throw it in the back of your truck and leave. No, there's a lot of, a lot of tracking and physical fitness involved. Now the one thing I've noticed. I hardly hunt, uh, let him let him, let him answer, Gordon. Go ahead, go David. Ahead. Go ahead. I'm, no, go I ahead. harvested a, a buck that wasn't anything impressive, and the amount of time that I put in to harvest that one animal was just astonishing. I mean, I spent nights looking and, and and trying to figure out the path of this animal, and days going out and sitting, and got lucky. He slipped up, you know. But there's. And as far as you go, I would definitely recommend if you're in Nevada, please hunt. Please do it. You have the area for it. You have so much game out there. It's ridiculous. From small game all the way up to large game, oh, yeah. try it. Hunt small game if you've got to. Yeah, you there's know, pesky roadrunners. See if you like <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm sure they've got to have rabbits, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's jackrabbits out here. So. But, yeah, it's uh, – you got to go out from the valley, uh, and then it's just and yeah, that's just it's getting w- hooked up with the right people to be able to do it because unlike back east, one thing I've noticed is anybody who hunts out here, it's a week long affair. It's camping way out in the wilderness. It's not you know back home it seemed like guys got up on a early morning first day of hunting season and just kind of went out because the land's a lot smaller and it's not you know a better than situation. It's just a fact of the matter. Uh, and there's beautiful country back east, uh, but yeah, it just it seems a uh, like it'd be a bigger undertaking, and it's going to take a lot of planning, which I'm good with. So before we'll I let see. you go, David, you and I were talking earlier. I, go ahead. No, I absolutely think he should pursue it. Where he's hunting out east, the population density on whitetail is so much higher than elk and mule deer and mm-hmm. and the game like that. But uh. You know, like here, for example, in the state of Florida, we have what's called a quota hunt. You can apply at myfwc.com for your wildlife management, and they'll 
give you a massive list of wildlife management that you can actually apply for. And I don't know if they have a lottery like that in Nevada, but I can't imagine them not because they do have them nationwide. It's just a wildlife management area. You apply for that quota and they have a set amount of game that can be harvested out of those management areas. And if you, you draw those areas, they'll give you say a, a buck tag or two buck tags or a buck and a doe or hog tags. And you go and you put the time in and you hunt that specific area. And then once you're done with that hunt, You've got another one the next week, and then another one two weeks later. So that's always food for thought, too. I would definitely definitely. look at your local fishing game website and see if you can come up with a hunt that way. It's not necessarily knowing people. It's reading the website. It's pretty easy. They make it very easy for us to hunt. We just have to have somebody to tell us. And you were telling me, at least down here and probably in other states, but in Florida um, for sure, like if you don't claim your tag – and the time's up, they reimburse you for the tag. You're not out of money, right, on some of those? So, no, here's the deal. With, no, so say you, you purchased an alligator tag. If you go into the lottery for alligator tags, it's $272. If they do not draw your name for those tags, then you are okay. reimbursed. Now, if you purchase those alligator tags and you do not harvest those tags, you're out your money. And but those the, tags are returned to the state, and they're issued to somebody else to harvest. But the money you put down as a placeholder in the lottery, if you don't get a tag, then you get said money back. So you're not just throwing it away. Yes. Yes. You get that back. They put a hold on your account while they draw, and then once they've drawn, you'll either see it deducted from your account or the hold lifted, and the money's there. If you see that money, that $272 deducted, you know, well, hey, I just got two tags. Do you feel comfortable talking about the uh, gentleman that had you take them out, they captured their game, and then left you with the bodies, and then after you, they wanted them back? <laughs> Do you want to tell that story or no? Yeah, I was kind of upset. There was a, a couple of guys that that drew three tags in the Caloosahatchee, which is really hard to draw tags for, and they they just were so overwhelmingly excited with this hunt they went on the hunt. I did all of the work. We got back at the end of the night and they just left the alligators with me. I'm like, well, do you want me to call Alligator Inc. and sell them? Or do you want me to butcher these? I, I don't care. We don't want them. We just want to be experienced. I'm completely against that. And I've never talked to those hunters again. And, and I don't plan on ever talking to them again. I'm not going to mention their name and bash them. Sure. But, you know, myself, and my wife had to come home that night and figure out how to butcher three big alligators by ourselves. And it just, I don't like that. I think that's a waste. You know, this hunting is not a blood sport. It's it's something that we do for sustenance. Yes, we want to harvest the biggest, most mature animal we can because that's good wildlife management. I'm very glad that our society has promoted trophy hunting because that gives us the opportunity to harvest that mature animal rather than harvesting something that still has five years of breeding. But like that, as a as the great white hunter, so to speak, I'm very much against that. And, and I don't think that that's right. And then when they come back to you horrible. after you did all the hard work and clean them, say, hey, can we get some of that meat? It's like, I want it. nah, you're good. <laughs> that's just. I told them to kick rocks till their toes bleed. Exact words. Kick rocks till your toes bleed. You should have been here helping us. We got absolutely ruined by mosquitoes trying to clean three alligators on a trampoline at 3 o'clock in the morning. So, no, you can't have any of it. Yeah, because you have to. Sorry, not sorry. Once that heart stops beating, you have some only such amount of time before that that meat starts to turn. So you got to get it done quick. What kind of band? The good thing with alligators, alligators, alligators are slow to bleed, so they 
a while before you have to clean them. But uh, again, still, they should have been on it. They should have had a plan. They should have mm-hmm. said, okay, we're going to sell these animals to recuperate our money for our tags. Or they should have said, okay, I'm going to take them to a butcher in the morning. We have a massive cooler with ice. Something, not just, well, we don't want them. Do what you want with them. Yeah. Because if they didn't want them, and let's say you weren't in a position that you could have done anything with them, then there would just been three wasted gators. Yep, exactly what they would have been. They would have been three wasted alligators. I'm not going to consume that much alligator <laughs> meat in a year's time. We harvest two a season, or we get lucky and we get a depredation tag on our property because one's endangering livestock or something like that, and we get an animal. That lasts us for a long time. You don't eat alligator every night. That's something you only eat once or twice a month. It's like fish. It has mercury in it. You have to be careful the amount you consume. Now, you had a question, Gordon. You asked something about a band. Well, it was actually, he said something that kind of made me think. wonder what kind of music a band called Alligators on Trampoline would play. <laughs> I don't know. Probably pop music. <laughs> Real quick before we let you go, David, there's a... <laughs> has a banjo in it and and at least one mandolin um there's a chance um that if you don't go to a different spot that you and i might go down to the everglades and do some fishing this weekend but you're telling me that requires some (laughs) wading through some waist high water to get to where we got to go right yes and it requires you to stay on your toes watch everything around you at all times uh, my kids went with me this weekend, and people are going to frown at me for taking them. We had to walk in waist-deep water for a few hundred yards. The rest of it was near shin deep. When we get to this lake, it is absolutely infested with big alligators, like alligators that would probably eat you if you weren't paying attention. My kids grew up around this. I would never recommend anybody taking their children anywhere like that. But again, my kids grew up around this. They're natives. They see this on a daily basis. They know how to interact with alligators and they know they're not supposed to leave more than 15 feet from me. But it's it's definitely a hairy place to go, but it's so remote. It's a half a mile walk just from where you can park. Not to mention you're 30 miles from the nearest anything. We're probably 20 miles from the Skunk Ape Museum. So it's a pretty cool trip. And it's definitely pretty fast and furious. It's a lot of fun. You catch peacock bass after peacock bass. But, again, you cannot lose track of what's around you. You've got to watch in front of you, behind you, under your feet. It's definitely a scary place to go. But it would make for some some great video. Yeah. I, if I, 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 don't be surprised I come down with my K-bar on my hip, let alone my Glock. But, David, hey, we're going to let you go, and we're going to wrap up the rest of the episode. Thank you for your time, and thank you for the education and the information. You definitely know a lot about the uh, subject, and uh, maybe we'll have you on again in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Both of you have a wonderful night. It's nice meeting your buddy over there. That's actually my brother, so um, he's just <laughs> out in Vegas. Oh, yep. well, nice meeting your brother, Don. Yep. Have a good one later. It's a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> yeah, he definitely knows. He definitely knows what he's talking about. Oh yeah, he's he is definitely. the dictionary definition of a Florida cracker, and uh, I'm you know I'm serious about possibly maybe even if it's just once, just doing the hunting thing just to to see what it's all about to, to understand the full package, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can hear people talk about the feelings and. And how you see it afterwards, but until you experience it, words are are kind of cheap, you know. 
real quick, Gordon and I discovered something on TikTok the other day, and I'm I'm currently in the live the live stream on my phone. So, Gordon, could you hold your phone up to your microphone and ask Google to sing me a song? Oh, you know, I did this the other day, and it didn't work right. Really? Do you think they changed it? I'm going to find out. I've noticed the song changes. Sing me a song. Yeah. yeah, they changed it. Let me try mine. I, and it's, I'm wondering if it's after that TikTok video. Came I don't out. know. Let me try mine. Hey, Google. Si- hey, Google. Sing me a song. Oh, I got the volume turned on. It's a great pod. It says, I love to help you, and I wish I had the tech. I wish I had the tech. Okay, to hug around the neck. So now I'm singing tech. Um, the reason we bring this up is last week, when you asked Google to sing you a song, she had about three different very three different songs about um, COVID vaccination and the benefits. They're basically re-education propaganda, like re-education camp songs. It was the it was actually kind of scary. The the uh, there's like four or five of them, and they would literally sing the song to you about the benefits of COVID vaccinations and how we need to praise all the science and this and that for our COVID vaccinations. It was pretty. So pretty the, the leader of choice was replaced by science. Yeah, actually, let me, vaccine. let me do this. I actually Googled uh, YouTube that and I can pull the sound up. Uh, Google sing me a song. There's a video. The, the audio is a little different on it. Yeah. Here's one. Did we play this last week? No, we did not. Okay. Oh, here's one. Um, let me turn up the volume on my Google Chrome. Hopefully, the pages I have in the background don't have advertising that's going to want to play. Um, okay, let me turn that up. Unmute this. This is great pod. Here we go. Sing me a song. Let's celebrate that we have the vaccine to help us bring a change to this whole routine. It can help us build our immunities while taking care of our communities. Vaccines are safe and an important step towards opening up and shaking hands again. And going somewhere we couldn't visit for months, protecting ourselves and the world at once. Scientists work night and day. In record time, they found a way, like superheroes in masks and gloves. No, that's cute for a parlor game, but you could clearly see that being played like in a kindergarten class, right? Actually, I, I was thinking at 100%, maybe even preschool, but then I was thinking, imagine watching it. It seems like something I would have seen watching a dystopian movie about the future in the past, and it's playing in the background, say Arnold Schwarzenegger's, you know, on that Mars deal, and that's like on a TV, you mm-hmm. know? In, in in the background, um, I think it was Total Recall, by the way. What's one of your but, favorite uh, fast food joints around you out there? If you allowed yourself to go. Which I have been too much lately. Probably Cafe Rio. Okay. Let me, what's one of your fast food, like your regular fast food chain? Something that, uh, like maybe a quick drive through, if you will. Unfortunately, there's no quick drive-throughs anymore. Um, probably it's going to sound horrible. Probably Jack in the Box or Sonic. Really? I thought you were going to say In and Out. I thought you're a huge In and Out fan. I like In and Out, but that's not a quick drive-through. Michigan Burger Restaurant sued for looking too similar to In and Out. Huh? Imagine that. Dahl and Burgers believes there's zero chance people would confuse the two brands. Now, Gordon, go and Google and Google. 
Doll and Burgers, and then hold hold your thoughts until I read this. A few fast, co- a few fast food companies have the reputations like In and Out. The Southern California-based burger chain is beloved by many, but is also no stranger to controversy. Um, we all know about the Bible passages on the bottom of the cups. Uh, perhaps preserving its unique image is the reason behind the company's track record for litigation. Beyond suing other burger restaurants, they've also gotten embroiled with delivery services and every dry cleaner to um, sorry, and even dry cleaners to protect their brand's identity. Now the chain has reportedly sued a pair of restaurants for having what they claim to be a similar design in and out. Michigan's Doll and Burgers, which launched in May of last year and operates two locations, one in Temescala and the other one in Jackson, has been sued by In-N-Out due to its overall look, according to the Daily Telegram. The local paper explains that Doll and Burgers features white, red, and yellow color schemes. Wasn't that McDonald's color schemes? Red, white, and yellow? But anyhow, I digress. Um, excluding, in, including a white exterior, red awning, and in both locations. Uh, blah, 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 yakety schmackety. You can only do so much with that color combination. Um, quote, but. the look and feel of the decor and the appearance of Doll and Burgers restaurant is too similar to our in and out Brian Washington, in and out Burgers attorney, said, according to MichiganMNLLive.com last month. The site reports that the in and out um, initially requested that Doll and Burger change the, quote, look and feel, but the company refused. Uh, founder Justin Dahlenberg classified, na- uh, cl- classified that the name was a play on the pronunciation of his own last name. Dahlenberg, D-A-L-E-N-Berg. So Dahlenberg, Dahlenbergers. Uh, Dahlenberger's legal um, retort reportedly argues that many of the com- uh, the conventions and chains uses, sorry, uses can be found in all sorts of burger chains across the fast food industry. Now you're looking at that place. That is not what you're expecting to see. I don't see a resemblance at all. I was kind of expecting okay, like so McDonald's. they use a lot of white and red. And a little splash of yellow. I get that, but... The building doesn't even look the same. Those are the big, best colors to have to grab people's attention. You know? I was kind of expecting, like, remember in Coming to America, McDowell's? <laughs> how it yep. looked like... That's what I was expecting. I'm like, looking at this, it's like, it doesn't look... it To me, I would say it looks more like a Five Guys from the exterior. Yeah, Five Guys is a similar color. You yeah. Know? And I was expecting some sort of similar signage. The sign is a cow rolling his eyes, um, a very rudimentary cartoon cow. It must look like his high school son drew it. But it does not in any way, shape, or form remind me of an In-N-Out burger. Maybe because the one has a little tiny triangle at the top, but uh, I don't see resemblance to an In-N-Out burger at all. I can't imagine that this would actually gain legs, but a company like In-N-Out will probably have the the funding to back them into the corner where it's like, well, you either do this or we'll just drag it out in court until you run out of money. It looks like they actually make their own burgers on site, literally, because I'm watching about uh, butchers, how they're butchering everything. So they actually may be a higher quality burger. You know? Huh. Worst choice ever. Intense backlash after Elon Musk was named Person of the Year by Time Magazine. Of course. First and foremost, no matter, who's, who, no matter who is the new Time Life magazine person of the year, there will always be controversy. That's why they do it. But what is this new disdain, hatred for successful, smart, rich people? 
Evidently, I was having a conversation with somebody about that today, and it seems like you're only allowed to obtain a certain amount of success. Well, and no, after that, you have to give it all away. Well, unless you're uh, unless you're obtaining that success through um, athletics or music <laughs> or movies, because I think The Rock just announced he is close to being a, a billionaire, but I'm not seeing a hatred from him yet. So if you oh, give it time, if you do it off of inventions and well, they got to stay a certain amount of woke. Yeah. So the more money you make, the more woke you have to be. It's like if so you, at one point the rock may turn into Cinderella. Time magazine has faced backlash on social media. Well, quick, quick relying on social media for your freaking news coverage. Um, after revealing its person of the year in 2021 was Elon Musk. Announcing his choice, Time cited Musk for being dubbed as the richest man in the world, his endeavors with SpaceX, as well as his environmental work through Tesla and the Solar City. Quote, this man who aspires to save our planet and to get us to a new one to inhabit, uh, clown, genius, um, visionary, industrialist, showman, um, blah, 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 P.T. Barnum, I mean, Andrew Carnegie. a little bit Carnegie. of a showman. He's smart, but he's no Barnum and Bailey. Well, it's actually P.T. Barnum, Andrew Carnegie, and the Watchman, Dr. Manhattan, uh, Blue, blah, blah, blah. However, people on social media were quick to criticize the choice. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, hmm, who would have thunk, Democrat, wrote on Twitter, let's chain the let's chain the rigid tax code so that the person of the year will actually pay taxes and stop freeloading off of everyone else. Echoing the 2021 report by ProPublica on Musk and other um, leagues that the world's wealthiest people pay lower <laughs> rates. Wait, taxes. wait, wait! How is a guy like that freeloading? Because this is the party that tries to convince people that rich people don't pay taxes. So he still pays a lot in his house. I'm sure there's a ton of taxes there. I'm sure, there's a ton of taxes in his vehicle and any of his holdings. Mm -hmm. You know. I, I don't get Author it. Author Kurt just... Eichwald cited Musk downplaying of the coronavirus pandemic and treatment of Tesla workers. Quote, I held back on saying much about time selecting of Elon Musk as a person of the year until I read their reasonings. In a year when the developer of the, the mRNA vaccines have saved millions to help restore global economies, the selection of Musk this year may be the worst choice ever. On his end, Musk responded with the announcement of his appointment with a simple... Thank you. The Times person of the year of 2020 was both President Biden and Vice President Harris. Wow. Well, you gotta also, That's how you know it's all bought and paid for right well, there. Well, you also got to know that. Um, what did Harris do? Nothing. Person of the year. She did nothing about the border but blame it on Trump. No, she was the first African-American and female vice president. That's what she did. Um well, you also got to keep it's mind. like a participation trophy at that point. The Democrats are going to be mad because they have to. Because remember when California told Musk that, uh, oh, you yeah. know, fuck off, he said, okay, I'm leaving. <laughs> he picked up his plan and he fucking left because he's got fuck me money. Oh, I don't pay taxes, huh? Mm -hmm. My company doesn't pay taxes, huh? Leave. Yep. Do, 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 do. Why will it take China's U2 Toon moon, moon Rover so long to reach the Lunar Mystery Hut? Have you seen that picture? Yeah, the big square on the horizon. Yeah, it's already been found. Uh, somebody did TikTok. It turns out it's a Dollar General. <laughs> China's U2. I'm going to say a 7 Eleven, but yeah. okay. China's U2 2 lunar rover recently spotted something intriguing on the far side of the moon. 
but it'll take the vehicle a few yeah. months to reach the object for a closer look. You know, there there's satellites that can take pictures, high definition pictures orbiting. I think that they may be able to try to capture that side of the moon because they should be able to figure out through triangulation off of the rover where it's at. Despite having a top speed of 656 feet, 200 meters per hour, the U-22 has so far covered just 2,950 feet or so since landing on the Von Karmer crater in January 2019. That's what you get for building a car, uh, a rover in an area that's so congested, everybody moves at like three miles an hour. Well, one of the major reasons for this is a solar-powered spacecraft cannot operate during the 14.5 Earth day-long lunar night. Oh, yeah. Now for uh, north for roughly 24 hours after sunrise and before sunset. Um, it also uh, stays still during lunar noon as temperatures at this time can reach 260 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and the complexity of the route planning and execution and meeting scientific goals leaving less time for the actual driving. Blah, blah, blah. And furthermore, it's China, and so they need a couple of months to hide anything that they don't want the world to know about that would benefit them and not the rest of us. So that is the other um, leading thing. I thought we... I gotta, go ahead. I got a don't be that guy. Okay. three of them. Oh, well, well, if you have three of them, then that um, justifies playing the theme song. Now, we do have a closer. I had Carrie record the closer the other day, but I haven't produced it yet. So um, let me find the intro, if I can find it quickly. Here we go. Turn up the volume on it. I don't know if you're aware of this, Gutter, but there actually was music recorded before 1989. What is this? You're going to wear this to the show. You're going to wear the shirt of the band you're going to go see. Don't be that guy. And now, to be or not to be that guy. So two of them are gym-related, one of them's not. So I'm going to start off with the gym-related one, and this is uh, something I had to deal with this morning because I went to the gym before work, and, and when you do that, one must take a shower. So therefore, one must use a locker. Don't be the guy that when you walk in, there's only one or two locks on lockers, a bunch of empty ones, but you decide to snuggle up next to the guy that's got the lock on his locker anyway. Yeah. You should, especially in the morning, space it out so there's no congestion in case you guys, you know, are needing it at the same time. He's a strong to the cousin. He's a strong cousin of the guy when, like, at a arena or a baseball place and the action's going on and everyone's in their seat. You go to the restroom and there's 38 urinals and you walk into one and they walk in and you're the only one, two in there. And he saddles up in the urinal next to you instead of going at least two down. That guy. Well, we got to get in line. Yeah. So that one bothers five year old gap between us fella yeah and and because our our lockers there's two rows there's an upper and a lower so i actually try to find one that's as far away from any other lock as possible and uh so i can use the bench you know because there's a nice bench there and and we're not all tripping over each other trying to get in and out moving on to and you you know this guy i don't think we've ever talked about this guy quite yet but he's a guy who tells you all about his grand plans, all these things he wants to do, but none of it ever comes true. He's one of those guys, because we all have dreams, but he dreams out loud to all his buddies. Mm-hmm. All talk, no action. Especially if this guy's like, you know, late 30s, 40s, 50s. I'm going to do this. Kind of reminds me of somebody I went to high school with. Yeah. And the last guy, 
This is a simple one. Again, well, hold on. while we we're still one. at the gym. Yep. Um, well, I'm going back to the gym. Anyway. Okay. Well, then go ahead. Go back to the gym. Then I'll throw one in there. You're in the gym. You're working around. Uh, you're working out, and you notice this dude peacocking around with sunglasses on. In the gym. Pit vipers. <laughs> Not pit vipers. This has been a while, but definitely dark shades. You know why? Why is that? Because he wants to look at women and asses in their bodies without people seeing where his eyes are looking. But it already makes him look creepy just mm-hmm. having him on inside anyway. Yeah, so but he's so He's creep- making himself more of a target. He's so creepy he doesn't realize the simple act of wearing sunglasses inside unless he goes, say, oh, these are prescriptions. I forgot my other ones. Really? They're aviators, fella. I've never seen a prescription aviator. I've seen it happen when it's already dark outside. Yeah. It's all new uh, twist on I wear my sunglasses at night. So I can, so I can. Um, so while I can. you're at the gym, this guy tends to be in his 60s and 70s. That just, I don't give a fuck age. But don't be that guy who not only walks naked, completely balls ass naked through the locker room, but then goes, stands in front of the 18 foot long, seven foot tall mirror in front of the sinks so that people who are lucky enough not to see you now see you because your reflections in the mirror across the damn locker room. No one wants to see your white balls, fella. Put on a towel. You can be naked in the shower. Just when you, once you open that curtain, put on a towel. It's always guys above fifty. Mm-hmm. Always. The the all the fuck field, the field of fucks has already been. Well, it's been harvested. No fucks left to give. I meant to bring this up when David was here because he's an outdoorsman. Uh-huh. How do you feel about bug spray? I. Well, you know, we're one of them people that use a professional bug service. I don't I mean, personally uh, uh, like using a hot shot myself. No, I'm and... sorry. I, I should should specify bug spray like mosquito repellents that you spray oh. on yourself when out football games, out fishing, hunting, etc. Uh, do it as soon as you leave your car before you're around a bunch of people. Otherwise, I have no problems with it. I had no problems with it either until I was over at my buddy Zach's house yesterday. and You smell like a can of off? No, we were talking about my hole in my kayak and how I finally plugged it using um, Gorilla. Oh, you can melt it back together. How I use Gorilla brand super glue. Mm-hmm. And he has these like high-end, like 16-foot-long single-person racing ocean kayaks that are all high-end fiberglass and all that. He's got the Trek road bike of, of yeah. kayaks. He had a can of bug spray in one of the storage holds. And the thing's on the side of his house, up on a rack, upside down, underneath the soffit and in the shade of his trees. It's it's out of the sun. It's off the ground. The can of bug spray rusted, and the bug spray leaked out and melted a hole through the fiberglass. The shit that we spray on our skin is strong enough to eat a hole through fiberglass. And he that got, makes me reconsider bug spray. Thank me God too. I live in Nevada. That's why I bring it up. And he has a boat on his dock into which he says, fuck, I got a can of off in my boat. He went into the boat, opened up the cupboard. That one had rusted from the humidity. Luckily didn't burn a hole through his boat, but did melt a hole through the plastic shelves in his cabinet. So the shit that we spray on our skin... <laughs> Can melt plastic in the heat. 
has enough acid or God knows what that it'll eat a hole through plastic shelves and through. He actually had to get some fiberglass repair and he put some dye in it, but they called it match. He actually had to patch the fucking hole in the top of his kayak. Luckily, the boat was upside down. Otherwise, it would eat a hole through the bottom of the boat. But this shit is. And I'm like, well, I got a can off in my kayak right now. I guess I need to go get it out of there. But yeah, it's. The idea that we spray this shit on our skin voluntarily, but it'll eat whole through fucking fiberglass and plastic, as you just said, I've said, hmm, now I'm reevaluating well, my use of that shit. I'll tell you something else to reevaluate along those same lines is the air softener, you, air freshener you hang in a car that you get at a car wash or whatever. I had in the Crosstrek, I had this one from a car wash sitting in my um, door pool. It got so hot that I pulled it up, it actually melted the plastic of the hmm. door pool. I don't, when I go to the, the highfalutin pay for detail car wash, they sell the tree inside, but when you actually go through the car wash, they ask if you want air fresher, and they have little tiny bags that look like silica packets, and they just toss them underneath your seat. And so they're they're not the the retail grade. These are like little packets of something, and they just throw it underneath your seat on the carpet. So I guess it's a little I've less risky those. burning your plastic. Yeah, but this is the type that you would normally hang from your mirror. I just kind of stuck it back there, and I was like, holy shit. You know, that's that's incredible. You know, I kind of thought we got over the spice thing. Now that we have medical-grade marijuana here in Florida, and most places have legal, you know, marijuana recreational use. But I guess if you're on probation, it's still considered a Schedule One narcotic. And, well... Stoners want to get stoned. Um, Florida Poison Control, 40 people hospitalized for severe bleeding after taking spice in Hillsborough County. Tampa, Florida. Now that's up near Tampa, right? Yep, Tampa, Florida. An uptick in synthetic marijuana use in Hillsborough County has landed 40 people in a hospital before, I'm sorry, in a hospital for severe bleeding over the last few days, according to the Florida Poison Control. The organization said that there has been an outbreak and severe bleeding from where they don't say related to the people buying, quote, spice from local dealers. Quote, the Poison Control Center sent clinical alerts to the emergency departments and has asked them to report new cases. The statement said we are closely monitoring the situation and working with public health agencies. Toxicologists and poison specialists are assisting hospitals in treatment of these poisonous threats. I'm sorry, these poison patients. According to experts, these synthetic can develop quickly. I'm sorry. According to experts, these symptoms can develop quickly among those who use synthetic cannabis. If you're someone you know is bleeding after using spice from, once again, don't know from where. It could be from the nose, the anus. I don't know. Head to the nearest emergency room. There will be blood from an orifice. Yeah, but we can't tell you if it'll be a nosebleed. If you're hacking up blood, you're bleeding from your penis. We can't tell you that because it's not in a story because, well, that'd be too much journalism involved. Speaking of news, Gordon, are you ready for the news? I am. Joining us now from the Digital 410 West News Desk in Las Vegas, Nevada, Gordon Abernathy. Gordon, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. We got some weird shit going on here in Vegas, though. Nothing like 40 people bleeding from the penises due to spice. Yeah. So I don't know if I, I told you the story about a couple of weeks ago. There was a guy basically... He took a stretch limo as he was going down the strip. He did a big old drift and then started running it backwards down the strip. 
No, it was uh, was it the guy from uh, YouTube? Uh, the guy who has the racetrack up in like outside of Sarasota. Uh, no, <laughs> he's not. He's a local guy, but I think you may be on to something because he's been recently arrested again. Mm. It's all for the content. Did something man. a little more extreme? Extreme, extreme. Remember in the late nineties, everything was extreme. Would think extreme, make you think of a, a, a movie, extreme. maybe a Guy Ritchie style movie. Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. A man is under arrest after allegedly wearing a clown mask mm -hmm. while yelling he has a bomb after driving the vehicle through security fences at McCarran International Airport. Dipshit, that's a felony. That's not YouTube content. That's time in fucking prison. Thursday, Las Vegas police released an arrest report of 36-year-old Matthew Hancock after he was involved in a disturbing incident at the airport. By the way, today, unfortunately, is now Harry Reid International Airport. <clears throat> Who voted well, I thought that? He said that? Well, my thing is, is uh, why can't we just call it Las Vegas International Airport and be done with it? Did and he it's retire? Neutral? Did yeah. He, I was going to say, because I haven't heard his name in yeah, at least no, three retired. years. Thank God. He was a... Now, if we can just get I don't rid know. Of, he's not as bad as... What's her name I was going to say, right now, now, if we can get rid of stuttering Pelosi, I'd be another step closer. Anywho, authorities said they were called to God around 6.30 p.m. that night about a limo driving recklessly... A limo again? In a parking lot of JSX at the airport and then breaching the inner and outer airport security gates. Officers... Airport officers were able to locate the car near Atlantic Aviation while it was stopped between several aircraft. So it's on there. It's between some planes. Police said the driver, Hancock, then stopped the car and yelled that he had a bomb to the nearby aircraft employees while he was wearing a clown mask. Further, agencies uh, were then called to assist that included a counterterrorism armor sections and the bomb squad, of course. Mm -hmm. And while the nearby employees began evacuating and taking cover, when police made contact with Hancock, he eventually followed instructions and was taken into custody. However, he did inform him that he had a gasoline device and a shotgun in the car and was planning to steal a jet to fly to Area 51 to see aliens. <laughs> yeah, this guy's getting Baker acted. Yeah. Police found the hoax bomb device in the vehicle made from a large cylinder with a pressure gauge on top, a few tubes, Christmas lights, and other metal objects. They said they also found a large costume mask. Hancock told the detectives there was nothing in the car that could hurt anyone unless somebody was going to light something on fire. He also told them that he was famous on social media for drifting his limo down Las Vegas Boulevard a couple of weeks earlier. Not that so famous, now this, dude. I ain't seen it. <laughs> the 36-year-old is facing charges of dispersing a hoax substance, making threat or false information about an act of terror, or weapons of mass destruction and trespassing not amounting to burglary. That's going to keep him tied up for quite some time. People are dumb. But they did notice that Hancock has a criminal history of domestic violence, violating protection orders, obstructing a public officer, and a recent arrest for said reckless driving on the strip in a limo last month. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that's the weird one. Uh, people are dumb. That is definitely the weird one. However, okay, God, I got like five stories here. 
Supply chain store shortages. Old Town, Maine. Unfortunately, a Maine paper mill is asking local residents for cardboard to turn into packaging because of rising cost of the raw materials it typically uses. So now they're pushing people to, to recycle straight to them. ND paper in Old Town uses cardboard and corrugated containers to create pulp that is later used in making packaging. However, it has become more difficult and expensive to attain said materials, according to a representative from the com company. The company is asking residents of Old Town and also the surrounding communities like to a shitty band. see what they could do to drop off cardboard, cereal boxes, and pizza boxes, according to Daily News. The company, which also has locations elsewhere in Maine, and out of state because you know this is a main story, so that's uh that's the point of focus. Mm -hmm. Says it's first time you had to try to source material from residents. So imagine if your trash company said, "Hey man, I really need you to start getting me your cardboard and and shit." Well, that's so weird though because like a lot of the studies show that most of the recycling that's picked up by um, municipalities actually don't get recycled because the barrier to recycling is so high. Like, for example, if you recycle cardboard, if it has any food waste on it, it yep. becomes trash. And so, it's, and uh, it's so weird to actually hear them like, "Oh my god, we got to recycle this shit." I guess they're trying to pay for their their plants because that's all you're doing anyhow. You're giving the city free money. But it sounds successful because everybody and their brother, according to them, is on also jumping on board to make these boxes. Hmm. Remember, uh, one of the bigger. F fires near Lake Tahoe earlier this year. Yep. Well, that, it destroyed about a thousand homes. Well, the father and son blamed for the wildfires. Guess what? Homeless. No, out on bail. Oh, okay. Arsonist. <laughs> yeah, they, they destroyed a thousand homes, give or take, and hundreds of acres or thousands of acres, I should say. Uh, yeah, they're. They are uh, out on bail, a vastly reduced bail, largely rejecting prosecutors' arguments that the duo pose a flight risk, you think? Mm -hmm. Travis Shane, 32, has had his $1 million bail reduced to 50000 That's a hell of a jump. Fuck yeah. And his father, David Scott Smith, 66, also had his million reduced to 25000 This was on Monday after their attorneys argued that the men have no criminal history and no reason to leave behind the families. The Smiths were arrested December the 8th on charges of the El Dorado County with recklessly starting a fire in illegally possession of a silencer. <sighs> yeah, you don't want to have that shit in California. No. Travis Smith is also charged with the illegal conversion or manufacture of a machine gun. Whoops. My question is, is it a machine gun or is it a gun with a bump stock? Yeah. <coughs> Travis Smith's the attorney... Definitions are very loose mentioned that the prosecutors had not laid out their theory on how the men started the August 14th Caldor fire, which destroyed about a thousand homes and other buildings and injured five people. One witness was quoted to say very carefully. Yes. It also forced tens of thousands of others to flee their home. Lawyers said, eh, they're really happy to be out. Oh, no fucking shit. But they weren't very happy about really being arrested. This guy's fucking brilliant. At least this, it wasn't this, Tanner, this right? Yeah. So prosecutors, prosecutor Nora Hall argued that the potential 
prison sentences, at least a dozen years for each, made them potential flight risk. And that Shane think? Smith's social media post indicated a lack of concern <laughs> for p- proper firearm safety. So it sounds like these are a bunch of hold my beer guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, God, I don't know. I don't think they should be let out. I'm sorry. You've you fucked up a lot of people's lives. You destroyed a lot of beautiful natural habitat, mm-hmm. displacing animals, you know, wildlife, people, etc. Uh, nah, you're an idiot. Before your next story, uh, I saw a TikTok tonight, and I do edit it, and it's actually getting some steam. Um, it shows a woman wearing black thermal underwear, pulling on almost hockey style black padded pants. Mm-hmm. Putting on padded shin guards, and it says, first time snowboarder. And it says, How will they know? No one's going to know. <laughs> to which I do edit it saying, Wow, back in my day, first time snowboarder was the guy wearing two pairs of jeans and duck boots and Carhartt jackets. Things have come a long way. But it's like you're a first time snowboarder and you got all this money for all these fancy pads and shit. <sighs> I don't know. I just thought it was kind it of must funny. be icy and hard where they're at. Yeah, I mean, she's it'd be li- funny if it's just a bunch of powder. I mean, it's, it's she's literally put in like on hockey style padding. But anyhow, yep. Altamonte oh. Springs, Florida. Okay, I don't know where that's. It's Central Florida, must be. Let me just look. Altamonte. I think it's Altamonte Springs. Yep, I probably mispronounced it because I'm, I'm I'm out here in Nevada. I think there's a reenactment up there somewhere. While many companies are offering bonuses or higher pay as a way to lure and keep workers, a central Florida business is offering a drawing for two brand new and mortgage-free homes. Ooh. It looks like it's a little north of Orlando. This is great because this is a trades... This is a tradesman company, Mechanical One, which provides air conditioning and plumbing for new developments, is planning on holding the drawing next December. President and CEO Jason James told the Orlando Sentinel. Now, I can back that because it is hard to get people. Yeah, it's a northern suburb of Orlando, Kissimmee, uh, Sanford, Metropolis. Uh, Back in 2010 census, it had a population of 41,496 people. I'm sure it's got a hell of a lot more since then because it has been almost 12 years. Huh. Well, CEO Jason James said it is my passion. My passion is really trying to reinvent employee appreciation. Our business model is really if we take care of our people, they will do more for us than any marketing budget. The company has bought the two lots for three two for the three bedroom and two bedroom homes and has set aside 500k for the the project. James told the newspaper he thought about other incentives, such as giving away a car or a vacation, but then he decided uh, he wanted his employees to be able to enjoy their homes, own homes. Imagine if a guy uh, got hired and won the home and then turned around and put his two weeks notice in. I'm a little sketchy on this because we had a car lot dealer down here who was very, uh-huh. very sketchy and a bit of a shyster. He actually gave away two homes in his tenure of uh, leasing a certain low-brand Korean vehicle around here, so... <laughs> So, I don't know. I see Cape, red flags. Uh, anyway. Um, oh, he's James since told- sold and he has since died, so there's no <laughs> chance of lawsuit. So, it's not going to be huge? Nope. Now, it's it should be a crime to pay more than a dime. It's like, hello, the guy who previously owned that place was from New York, New Jersey. 
left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. The new owner comes in and uses some voiceover that sounds like some broads from New York and New Jersey. Shouldn't you maybe try a new region to help differentiate yourself from that person? Down there from up there. It should be a crime to pay more than a dime. So now their whole thing is uh, your down payment on a lease is a dime. That's funny. Yeah, if you have immaculate credit. So to qualify for the drawing, these employees must be with the company for a full year. Okay, I get it. That, that makes sense. And then take a financial literacy class. Nope, that's good, which will be paid for by the company. And also must perform 20 hours of community service as a nonprofit. You know what? I can appreciate the the level of vetting he's got. He's putting these guys through, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get a financial – because, you know, they do all this. They are probably more likely to hang out with the company. Uh, they get a financial education as well as helps them uh, get the goal of owning their own home. And anyway, it is an impact on the community. And you know what? I was a little skeptical at first. But I say, uh, go for it, man. That's a that's a good take, you know. Especially when it's hard to get people. And uh, otherwise, I think that's where we're going to end it tonight on the news. And before we end it tonight on the news, one of Gordon's colleagues from the news is signing off for the last time, and they ask us to play his sign off. So here it is. I'm a colleague. I'm just a- one, Mr. Brian Williams. Gordon's colleague in the news profession. Well, look at the time. I'll try to keep this brief. After 28 years of Peacock logos on much of what I own, it is my choice now to jump without a net into the great unknown, as I do for the first time in my 62 years. My biggest worry is for my country. The truth is I'm not a liberal or a conservative. I'm an institutionalist. I believe in this place, and in my love of country, I yield to no one. But the darkness on the edge of town has spread to the main roads and highways and neighborhoods. It's now at the local bar and the bowling alley, at the school board and the grocery store. And it must be acknowledged and answered for. Grown men and women who swore an oath to our Constitution, elected by their constituents, possessing the kinds of college degrees I could only dream of, have decided to join the mob and become something they are not, while hoping we somehow forget who they were. They've decided to burn it all down with us inside. That should scare you to no end as much as it scares an aging volunteer fireman. To my co-workers, my love and thanks, and I say again, everyone I've worked with has made me better at what I do. To my family, love and thanks doesn't begin to cover it, but now I have the time to better express it. My friends know who they are. No one's been blessed with better friends. To the guests on this broadcast, as you heard the nice man say a few minutes ago, it's always been about you. Otherwise, I'd be staring into the camera for an hour, five nights a week, and nobody wants to see that. You are the 11th hour and will continue to be the 11th hour. This is where I thank you, however, for being so great for explaining these last five years. As a proud New Jersey native, this is where I get to say regrets. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. What a ride it's been. Where else, how else was a kid like me going to meet presidents and kings and the occasional rock star? These lovely testimonials that I can never truly repay make me hyper aware that it has been and remains a wonderful life. It's as if I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning in Bedford Falls. The reality is, though, I will wake up tomorrow in the America of the year 2021. 
a nation unrecognizable to those who came before us and fought to protect it, which is what you must do now. My colleagues will take it from here. I will probably find it impossible to be silent and stay away from you and lights and cameras after I experiment with relaxation and find out what I've missed and what's out there. To me, that's the important part. The part where he says, I cannot stay away. I'm going to go home and experiment with relaxation. You know what that says to me as someone who worked in media? I'm going to go, no, I'm going to go home, set out my non-compete, and then I'll be back on a different station that doesn't make me spread this bullshit propaganda. That's exactly what it is. You could take it one of two ways until his last part there, Mm -hmm. right? He could have been aiming at either or, but uh, yeah, it sounds like once he said, you almost think he may have been drummed out. Once once he said, uh, I can't see myself staying away from the lights and the camera. I'm going to go home and spend some time relaxing. That's code for I'm going to go home, set up my non-compete, and I'll be back. I wouldn't be surprised if you were to see him on um, – where did um, Shepard Smith go? He didn't get him. He's on MSNBC. Oh, uh, yeah. CNBC, so yeah. He's done with the Peacock, though. Yeah, so uh, how crazy would it be to see him pop up on Newsmax? <laughs> or Fox. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's – Probably it's, CNN because they're cleaning house. It's pretty crazy when someone like that is saying, hey – Shit's getting crazy. Journalism, at least at this particular station, is dead. I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm beating feet. I'm going to go home, sit up my non-compete. I bet he had plenty of arguments with the staff there. Uh, other staff, people. program directors, segment producers. Other talent. Mm, talent. Yeah, but anyhow, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the What's in Your Head podcast. We want to thank each and every one of you for joining us on Facebook and on YouTube. Um, if you'd like to help uh, support our channel, what we do, please head over to whatsinyourhead.com. Click on that Patreon link as we said at the top of the show. And please head over to our YouTube channel. Look for Digital 410 and please like and subscribe to that. But as always, uh, we'll see. Actually, real quick, we don't do this enough here on the Digital 410 Network. We actually have multiple podcasts here on the Digital 410 Network. We have the What's Your Head podcast, the seldom produced, I need to get back up and go on the uh, Fail to Fail podcast. And we also have the um, What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, as well as our friends Ron and Mike have the um, Tackle Your Personal Best Fishing podcast. But this week... Uh, we did it last night. It's up on YouTube, and you can download it on all the favorite apps. If you head over to the What's the Scuttlebutt, we had author John C. McManus. He did uh, September Hope and, like, 15 other books. Great interview. Check that out. If you're into World War II stuff, please go check that out. But uh, we're going to wrap this bad boy up, and we'll talk to you guys next weekend. Um, I think Gordon and I discussed a little program. Whiskey in a barrel for several years. Wrong button. will get better. But that doesn't go for humans. The same is not true for people. Anyhow, programming note, uh, we're going to do an episode next week, and then we will take the following uh, week off for the holidays. So please join us for next Tuesday, and then we will see you probably the Tuesday following the first of the year. But thank you guys so much for hanging out with us throughout this year and uh, making the show grow and all that good stuff. So we will talk to you all next week. This has been a Digital 410 production.